0: Many of you uh, were not here last Tuesday, but for those of you who were, I just want to uh, give once again my heartfelt thanks for um, maybe one of the most joyous times I've ever had in my life, and kind of a once in-a lifetime little love fest and the 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 really gratifying thing to me was that it wasn't just it didn't feel as though it was just about me it was really about our community and it was about just sharing in in love and uh, I know there were people who spoke last week but but whoever was on in the chairs not uh, so many spoke so I thought I would I would just leave it open a few minutes for anybody that wanted to say anything about, uh, about their experience uh, last week. I had a few little things that came up for me and I, I'd be happy to share that, but um, if anybody has any comments, otherwise I'll just launch right into uh, my best joke. <laughs> well, for those of you who weren't here, and those of you who know this to be true, who were here, as I had, um, I had holding my hand, essentially my mother, my 87-year-old mother. I had my wife, partner, and my 10-year-old daughter. And I saw my mother sitting on the chair uh, with the with her little black purse, and uh, which broke my heart in the sweetest kind of way. Uh, but then I thought about this story about uh, this woman, probably similar in age to my mother, who wanted desperately in, to meet uh, the guru, and she it was quite an arduous thing to be able to travel to see this guru. She had to go to far away lands, and she had to travel with great hardship uh, over hill and over dale and all kinds of forms of transportation. And then when she finally made it to the cave in the mountain where the Guru was, she was told when she entered the cave that she could say only three words to the Guru. And she went into the cave and she paid her respects and then invited to say her three words she looked at the guru and said, Sheldon, come home. So I I felt a little bit like Sheldon last week with, with my mother sitting here. And then the second thing, and this is a slightly embarrassing to say, but I, I have very little censor at this time of my life, is that um, I, this week I flashed on the Academy Awards <laughs> vintage somewhere in the 1990s when Sally Field got the Academy Award. And she said, You really do like me, or you really do love me. <laughs> and, and she, of course, has been teased about that ever since, you know, people having Sally, her having her Sally Fields moment, you really do love me. But it, I was so, I, I've never been busy, uh, busy, I've just been busy sharing the Dharma, you know, and in my mind, just loving you and uh, loving the teachings and loving being able to. To share the good news and the the um, the potential to that each of us has within us to awaken, and then to to have it um, received with so much uh, with so much love, just just blew my mind. Just blew my mind because you never know. And so I'm just so appreciative, and I will carry whatever that circle of giving and receiving that. It just showed me what the power of generosity is in that deepest sense that there is such a gift to the... There's a gift to the giver and the gift to the receiver and it just... That circle just keeps going on and on and and that is the wheel of the Dharma. It is the wheel of generosity. It's the wheel of of gratitude that just has kept the teachings alive for 2,600 years, mind to mind, heart to heart. And it was... The heart was so... So... Palpable. The whole room just was filled with with um, with luminosity and love, and so it, it, I know I had had my part in it, but everybody had their part in it, and I was glad that it wasn't just me. So I'm so thanks again for all of that. And then I th- I was thinking also about about what is it that what is it that uh, people connect with or what is it that what is it about the dharma that people connect with the dharma meaning the teachings the truth the way it is because every tuesday essentially i say listen you have as your natural state as your as the closest thing to you this precious jewel of of awareness Uh, It is primary to your nature. If I ask all of you right now, stop being aware. What becomes so clear is the only thing that is just unshakable, really. Unconditioned. Unborn. That just is not, is not, uh, uh, it's indestructible, is this capacity of being aware. And it seems, when we, when we say, what is awareness, what is it? It's not something that it's invisible, like empty space. It's clear, it's not made of anything, yet it's shining, reflecting everything. Everything is known. So it's somehow not seen, but it's implicit, that it's, that it's everything. And that everything is known, everything is within this capacity of being aware. And yet, it still seems empty, like the sky. This being aware—it doesn't have a—you can't. There's not. There's no height. There's no depth. There's no color. No shape. No beginning. No end. No inside. No outside. It's just—it's just aware, and everything is known. I'm known to you. You're known to me. And we. There's this sense when we're aware together. We inter are. You know. We as Tikhon Han puts it. We are. We are. Uh, of one taste in this field of awareness, this kind of shared uh, consciousness, you could say. And yet, it's invisible. But the interesting thing is that every week what's actually offered as instruction is to take this natural state of awareness and give it give it attention by giving it a focus so that you actually begin to recognize that you're aware. And what we use to help wake up the fact in us that we're aware is we we rub that awareness against our body. We feel our bodies, and that freshens our awareness. We feel our breath. We feel the whole field of sensations. We let ourselves register sounds. We let everything be the cause of brightening and in the in the long run, steadying our attention. And then as... If I've offered anything over the years, if anything has happened, it's that I have, um, there's a a poem, I've given myself so much to this, uh, this quality of awareness, being aware. I just realized why I had wanted to read this poem from Hafez, where he, it's entitled, I've learned so much. I have learned so much from the Divine that I can no longer call myself a Christian, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Jew. The truth has shared so much of itself with me. I can no longer call myself a man, a woman, an angel, or even pure soul. Love has befriended Hafiz so completely that it has turned to ash and freed me of every concept and image my mind has ever known. Well what little measure of, of that I've realized is it could be reduced to the simple fact that if you mingle enough with awareness, which is like mingling with the divine, it's invisible yet contains everything, if you mingle with that, it brings with it it brings with it affection. It brings with it all the what are called the immeasurable qualities. Somebody at the end immeasurable qualities, and the the, what are considered the immeasurable qualities are loving kindness, our compassion when that when that kindness meets pain, sympathetic or altruistic joy when that kindness meets good fortune and delight, and wisdom, the quality of equanimity that understands that things are as they are and they are arising according to conditions. These are the immeasurable qualities. And somebody asked on the retreat that I was just leading and some of you who are here just came off of retreat. Somebody asked at the end, well you know you talked about the natural mind but what about what about uh, the, the four Brahma Viharas these qualities of love, compassion, joy and equanimity. And I, and I said... These are implicit in a mind that is open, it, when you are aware what that does, what it does for anyone. And that's why this Sangha is able to love, is that we, we put our attention here, 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 here. We do it every week as much as we can, and I know that many of you do it all the time, as much as, you're able, as much as you're able to remember. When attention is applied to anything it brings affection. It's not possible for me to look at you and be present with you and not start to love you. It's not possible for me to see your pain and not have my heart break. It's not possible if I'm really present with you to if you tell me of something that is wonderful in your life. For me it's not possible for me to avoid Joining you in that delight and feeling that sense of altruistic joy, and it's not possible if I meet you with steady awareness that I will um, that I will get caught in my reactions uh, to as much to praise and blame, to gain and loss, to fame and shame, to n- name it to uh, pleasure and pain. I will be able to meet you and meet whatever that is with much more balance. That is a function. It is a natural expression and a function of awareness. And this is why we do it, day in and day out, taking that natural awareness and focusing it so that it remains, so we remain in close proximity to that that primordial fact within us we do it, we need that kind of, we need these anchors. We need the body, we need the mind, we need the moods, we need everything to help continue to freshen and, and remind us of this ever present um, refuge within us. So when we talk about, we always do on retreats, and sometimes here we talk about, I go to the Buddha for refuge. You know, we often think of the historical Buddha and, and, uh, this wonderful being, like us, human, who woke up. But what we're really saying when we say, I go to the Buddha for refuge, it means, I go to, Buddha means awake. I go to wakefulness for refuge. And when we say, I go to the Dharma for refuge, it's not just the teachings, it's not just the, the laws of nature as we can reflect on them, it's what a Buddha knows in every moment, is what's happening and we let what's happening and we let awareness mingle together and it reminds us again and again of this ever-present fact of being aware and out of that comes love. And that's why we could have a gathering like we did last week because, uh, because practice leads to love. It leads to the, the sure heart's release. And even if in your presence of mind which we're because we're also conditioned to be unaware to become obscured even even all the greed in our mind when it meets awareness it turns into letting go it turns into generosity it gets transformed by being aware of it it's just the same as a moment when you realize you're holding your breath and that comes in t- and you become aware of it, that becomes the cause of breathing again, of letting go. The same as when you feel gre- when you notice your mind is in a state of greed, and you really notice it, you feel the tension of it, you see the story of it, you see the way you're hostage to the imagined future. There's something in us, an intelligence that flows from being aware, that says, "Let go, let be. Don't don't wait for anything to be happy. Let let this moment of greed be the reminder of your love of of having enough right here. And when you see when that awareness hits hatred, ill will, it if we're actually able to feel that ill will, it transforms into. Uh, into loving kindness but first it transforms into compassion. If we actually feel it we we start to feel how painful it is to be in a state of ill will. Instead of being so quick to project that ill will onto and blame the world we instead feel what that's like to be in a state of anger. And when you feel that it's you say ouch and that begins to open a, a process of of, uh, of compassion. And out of compassion, then, what do we do? We, we, we find the antidote to ill will, which is loving kindness. And we, we work that. Um, and then, of course, when we see delusion, I'm describing right now the way that mindfulness, when it hits what, are, what the Buddha called the three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion, it becomes transformed, when, we, when greed, hatred, and delusion go unnoticed, they, they spread out into the ordinary thinking and the whole internal drama and the whole endless wandering, the greed and endless waiting for that future that never arrives, aversion endlessly waiting till whatever it is that's, that we consider that is bothering us goes away, and then delusion which ends us which delusion in the sense of falling into a case of mistaken identity we spend we spend years wandering around in a view of ourselves that is distorted and virtual and missing the the being that that we are in real time that is not describable by all these stories that go through our mind so when our when our ever-present awareness becomes focalized on the arising of one of those personality views that I'm not enough, or I'm, I'm so great, or I'm less than, or I'm equal to, the measuring mind, something in us says this is, this is suffering. Again, it becomes the cause of compassion, becomes the cause of letting go, and it becomes the cause of ultimately seeing through the illusion of that imagined separate being. And that, in fact, is what turns us toward uh, that, uh, that increasing sense that we don't exist alone, independent, apart from each other. And the way that our mind keeps recreating, we, it frees us to say, wow, this is This is a false sense of self. What is my self? Who am I in real time? Who am I on present evidence? I am not, as I sit here, I'm not so-and-so from so-and-so. I can't find that here. I'm simply awake. And that wakefulness doesn't have any limits. And I feel more sensitive that I'm not that I'm being in some way lived. I'm not just, I'm not just that one little cut-off, contracted being that I have imagined myself to be. I'm actually quite um, alone with everyone. There's a, this is a nice poem from uh, Jennifer Wellwood that speaks to the transforming quality of presence which is none other than saying the transforming quality of moment-to-moment mindful attention. It's called unconditional. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior that lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition that I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant, jewel-like essence. I bow to the One who has made it so who has crafted this master game. To play it is purest delight, to honor its form, true devotion. One missing, one thing that we often don't appreciate about the simple moments of mindfulness simple moments of mindful attention, is that that simple moment of mindful attention is a moment without any view of ourselves, without any memory or association or or virtual version of ourselves. And there's a wonderful sutra called the Avatamsaka Sutta. It's a Mahayana Buddhist sutra, it had a very pithy little line that said having no view of self, one is always peaceful. So we, what is often overlooked is that simple moments of mindfulness, whether it is just a millimoment, it leaves in its wake, it, it plants a seed of peace. Because that moment is the opposite of greed, which creates tension, that spawns a lot of becoming. It's free of hatred, which spawns more anger and ill will and revenge fantasies, etc., adds tension. There's no delusion, there's no confusion. So consequently, the simple moments of knowing what you're doing when you're doing it, walking and know you're wa- knowing you're walking, looking into somebody's eyes and knowing you're doing it, just being present. It, having no view of self one is always peaceful and this this peaceful presence inevitably brings affection so that's i think the there's no magic about what creates a sangha of love it's just people who are committed to simple presence and all the qualities that flow from that now, now I can speak about how all these qualities are inherent in the nature of mind—love, compassion, joy, equanimity, discernment, intelligence, wisdom. I, everything flows from from this. But because we are also so untrained, so uh, conditioned to run from presence to to associate our, our well-being with what's next and with with. Uh, acquisition, with consumption, etc., with stuff, with getting to the weekend, getting to the vacation, whatever it is. Because we're so conditioned, we need practices. We need um, we need to actually nurture uh, those those same qualities that even though they're inherent in our nature, we need to remind ourselves of them. And this is why we have Practices like the Brahma Viharas, the, where every day not only do you practice moment-to-moment mindful attention, but you do as as I've been doing over the over many years, as I I try to remind myself of those qualities by doing what I call stealth metta. I try to, in whatever way I can, under my breath, whenever I can remember when I walk down the street, when I drive the car, I try to say, may you be happy, may you be happy, may you be happy. So at least my mind is inclining toward remembering those qualities instead of inclining as it's sometimes trained to do, to say, I hate you, I hate you, get out of my way. And so it's, it's something that we, even though the view from above is this grand expression of all the most noble qualities, as my friend Surya Das used to say, as humans we need to uh, not only just have the view from above, we need to schlep up from below. <laughs> so we need to practice. We need to practice every day and not be, even if we have the deepest understanding, we can't rest on our memories. Our practice has to be alive and we have to keep the current going. So what really supports ongoing practice is Sangha. <laughs> sangha is a great support for ongoing practice, but sitting every day is a great support. Walking every day, many quickies, short periods many times, very good support. And really taking it on as a as a and reminding yourself every day that the as Padma Sambhava put it if you want to understand your past look at your present experience and if you want to understand your future look at your present actions so everything revolves around you experience the fruits of all that you have practiced here and now and you plant the seeds for your future present moments here and now so what do you want to plant? what do you want to create? what do you want to choose? you want to choose greed, hatred and delusion? Or do you want to choose love, compassion, wisdom, joy? It's totally within our power. And, I, and I've said this over and over. I say it any chance I get. For me, the only way that I've been able to keep that, um, keep that at least what I consider the most wholesome choices alive for me is to come here, to remind myself <laughs> And to you know sit with other people, so thank you for supporting my practice, and um, thank you again for the glorious celebration. I just my heart is just still so full. I, I think it may take me a lifetime to metabolize that uh, experience. Just too much. So any and maybe I should read the the last little plug for sangha because I'm just Sangha crazy right now. <laughs> just, uh, once again, the lessons from geese. Each, as each goose flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the, ver- for the birds that follow. By flying in a V formation, the whole flock adds 72% greater flying range than if each bird flew alone. So people who share a common direction, sense of community get where they're going quicker and easier because they are traveling on the thrust of one another. Fact two, when a goose falls out of formation it suddenly feels the drag and resistance of flying alone. See nobody can do this alone, this awakening process. It's too hard, There's too many forces saying, go shopping. Anyway, let me get back to this. (laughs) When a goose falls out of formation, it suddenly feels the drag and resistance of flying alone. It quickly moves back into formation to take advantage of the lifting power of the bird immediately in front of it. So if we have as much sense as a goose, we stay in formation with those headed where we want to go. We're willing to accept their help and give our help to others. Fact three, when the lead goose tires it rotates back into formation and another goose flies to the point position. So it pays to take turns doing the hard tasks and sharing leadership. That's a plug for other people to volunteer. Uh, as As with geese, people are interdependent on each other's skills, capabilities and unique arrangement of gifts, talents and resources. Fact number four. The geese flying in formation honk to encourage those up front to keep up their speed. So we may need to make sure our honking is encouraging. In groups where there is encouragement, the production is much greater. The power of encouragement, stand by one's heart or core values and encourage the heart and core of others is the quality of honking we seek. And finally, fact five. When a goose gets sick, when a goose gets sick, wounded, or shot down, two geese drop out of formation and follow it down to help it and protect it. They stay with it until it dies or is able to fly again. Then they launch out with another formation to, or catch up with the flock. Lesson: If we had as much sense as geese, we will stand by each other in difficult times as well as when we are strong. So may all beings know the joys of sangha, know the joy of mindful attention, and the, and the release of the heart in love. So let's just sit quietly for a minute. from Rumi. We are the mirror as well as the face in it. We are pain and what cures pain. We are the sweet cold water as well as the jar that pours. We are tasting the taste of eternity in each moment. May our practice, our mirror-like nature, and any of the gifts, any of the goodness, any of the blessings, any of the benefits of our practice touch the hearts and minds of all who we touch, all our near and dear ones and those afar, all those in happy circumstances and unhappy circumstances. May our practice be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings so that all beings can know happiness and the causes of happiness increase, increasing. That all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering decreasing. That all beings can never be separated from the sacred happiness that is without sorrow here and now. And finally, a wish that all beings can grow in the immeasurable quality of serenity and equanimity, able to meet the worldly winds, the joys and the sorrows, with less reactivity. And may our practice touch the hearts of all those rotten politicians (laughs) whose hearts have not yet learned to love. May all beings be free. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so thank you for your your practice, thanks for your generosity, and thanks again for the party that was uh Highlight of my life. Thank you. Any title? You want me to derive one after editing and listening? It feels like so long. Thank you for listening.